Welcome to Wealth Radio on News Radio KLBJ with author and wealth manager Chris Herline. Join the conversation. Call or text now at 512 836 0590. Now, here's Chris Herline. Good day, everybody. Chris Herline live with you, broadcasting from Georgetown, Texas. And uh, phone lines are open. We got Brandon just got those things open for us. You can join me tonight with all your investment. Tax estate questions, 512-836-0590. 512-836-0590 to join me. You can text or call. Look forward to getting to those questions here this evening. Just a reminder, always tune in every Monday, Wednesday, 6 p.m., News Channel 36. That's KXAN right here in Austin. You can tune in for Retire Ready TV, where I keep you on top of the latest and greatest retirement and investing strategies Got a great show lined up. It's been a wild day here. I don't have to say anything if you've turned on the news and still a lot of ambiguity in the air. But what I want to focus on this evening is a different direction. You know, we look at 2020, you know, look back, I should say, on 2020. And, you know, if we were sitting down together or maybe you were tuning into our broadcast and I told you, that I had a really reliable source that has shared with me that walking into 2020 last year, so imagine you're tuning in this time last year, and this reliable source shared with me that we're going to walk into one of the worst pandemics in 100 years, that the stock market was going to bomb 30%, and... The election was going to be contested, and even in January, there would still be two sides to who won. You would have likely said, hey, should we just park our money in cash, set this one out? Well, a lot of people did that. Not my clients, but a lot of people did that. And whether it was just, you know, wanting to be responsible with the wealth that you've built or trying to be prudent or, you know, shield loss, whatever that is. Um, you know, we get to the end of 2020 and men, it's a totally different story. You know, quick recovery as far as the equity markets. And then you see what's transpired in just the last two months. Turn on the news today and you're like, how in the world is the market doing what it's doing? I get it. But there would have been a lot of missed opportunity. A lot of missed opportunity had you just sat that one out, right? And so oftentimes we see that individuals will really let headlines, you know, the equity markets having a blip day. You know, these things can trigger emotions. It can really push people to make decisions about their wealth and their investments that they likely shouldn't otherwise. And so a couple things that I've been getting a lot of emails on. Number one is, you know, what is the most prudent way to invest in 2021? You know, again, still a lot of ambiguity in the air, you know, quite possibly an administration change. I mean, the, the, the list goes on. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to field those questions. And I, I've a couple of these questions that uh, emails that I wanted to share with you tonight, because it really does apply to any of you out there that are investing for your future, 
investing to stay retired, all those things. And another theme that I've been getting hit on quite a bit is utilizing life insurance as a savings vehicle. Um, I don't talk about this a whole lot, um, especially on this program. We generally never talk, you know, specific strategies and uh, product, but I think that it would be a good use of time this evening to share with you some really unique ways that high earners, that affluent families, and retirees are utilizing life insurance. And it's not your grandfather's life insurance. It's not your term life insurance. I'm going to share with you tonight a couple concepts that successful families are using that you may have not uncovered before. And we want to get your wheels turning. Join me in tonight, 512-836-0590, 512-836-0590, and we'll kick it off. You know, one of the things that has been around in the investment world for a long time is, you know, the word diversification, you know, that can mean a number of things. And I've talked about investment diversification on this program over the years, also talked about tax diversification, having money in different places so you can control your tax bracket better. And, you know, one of the things that has been talked about a lot and maybe even ingrained in families, investors is, you know, this idea of dollar cost averaging, you know, dollar cost averaging has been a term that has been used for a long time. And, you know, the thing about dollar cost averaging is it, it has been a prudent strategy. I don't, I'm not saying it's, it's not a good strategy by any means. You know, you think about a 401k, if you're putting money in that thing every week, every month, whatever it is, you know, you're forced to dollar cost average right? Because, you know, the money is being withdrawn from your paycheck and then you're putting a little bit in, hopefully maxing that 401k out. So in some scenarios, you, you are forced to dollar cost average. But what about the individual out there that maybe went to cash? Could have been in March, could have been in February last year. And you've just watched the market break record after record after record. That's tough. The tougher question is, is when do you get it back in and, and how do you get it back in? And dollar cost averaging kind of applies to this conversation. And let me just explain for, for all of our listeners, kind of high level, what dollar cost averaging is. It's taking a lump sum of money. Let's say you got a million bucks. And instead of just tomorrow morning getting up and investing it right away into the stock market, what dollar cost averaging does is you're kind of breaking up that million dollars into small bites. And then you're investing a little bit over time. And it could be you know, over four weeks, it could be over six months, whatever the strategy is. So for an example, if I got a million dollars and invest it over a five-year period, let's say, and every month I'm putting in about, call it 1,700 bucks. So all together, over that period of time, now we've got a million dollars invested. And systematic investing is trying to capture the swings in the market, right? So one month you may buy low as the market has declined. One month you may buy high. And then things kind of 
smooth things out over the, over the years, kind of average things out. So dollar cost averaging. And, you know, I think about 2020, I think 2020 is a wonderful year to, to look back on because we walked into 2020 market had had a great year in 2019 and prospects were looking really good for 2020. And then March, of course the market bombed and then it just began to rebound rather very quickly, almost too quickly. And so if you were out of the market, if you just happened to be out of the market in March, you nailed it. Right. And then you're like, okay, I'm gonna start buying back in in April. Well, if you were dollar cost averaging from April to the end of the year, in most cases, you would have been buying at higher highs every single month. So in that example, dollar cost averaging didn't work. But on a broad level, dollar cost averaging, in my opinion, it doesn't work like we all hope we'd see. You know, long-term investing, that's what works. Long-term investing is when you're keeping your money in the markets for a long period of time. And see, when you're dollar cost averaging, you're not keeping your money in the market over the full period of time. You're keeping much of that money out of the market for a long time, depending on how long you plan on DCAing in, dollar cost averaging in. So you're not getting the full benefit of long-term investing. Also, when you're dollar cost averaging, you're, you're placing a bet. You're placing a bet that the market will go down shortly and then you're going to get your money in and then it'll hopefully go up. And at the end of that period, as you're putting your money into the market, as you got that money invested, maybe you bought at lower lows. So your basis is lower. That, see, on paper, that makes a lot of sense. It does. But even though DCAing is very popular in the investment and financial advisor world, the question is, does it really make sense? And so, in my opinion, dollar cost averaging really only makes sense if you have a real clear for, forecast on the markets. If you're rather certain that the markets are going to go down for a while and then come back up, well, that's got a lot of merit. But if you don't have that forecast, if you don't have full confidence in that forecast, then DCAing really doesn't make a lot of sense. Now, the question is, is if you had a million bucks and you put it in the market last year, or any year for that matter, one time, lump sum, versus the investor that dollar costed throughout the year, you know, which one outperformed? I love it because Morningstar did a research study in 2019, which was a great year in the market. And it found that dollar cost average investing outperformed lump sum investing only 10% of the time. And they didn't just use 2019. They used many, many years. And so I guess 
dollar cost averaging at the end of the day is an approach to what? Mitigate risk. You know, nobody wants to buy into the market tomorrow and then the following day see a 10, 15% drop. That's kind of a bummer. I get it. But if we're using DCA, dollar cost averaging, to mitigate risk, well, I think we need to define risk in your investments. Dollar cost averaging in this Morningstar study actually showed to have more risk than just throwing the lump sum in the market. And the risk I'm talking about, you know, you're, you're doing this because the uncertainty about what the markets are going to do. But dollar cost averaging can be even more uncertain than the prospects are just throwing the money in and the market may be declining the following day or the following month. So when you want to mitigate risk in your portfolio, maybe dollar cost averaging isn't the first thing you should be thinking about. The way you control the risk of your portfolio is how you build the portfolio, how you invest it. What asset classes do you own? How do you weight among the asset classes you own? What type of investments are you using? If you want to mitigate your risk, this should be part of the way you construct your portfolio. Not about when you're putting money in or timing the market. So, we kicked off tonight's show addressing a lot of the questions that I've been fielding. And one of the underlining themes was, you know, should I be DCAing? And if it's an investment account that you can control how much you're putting in versus like a 401k that's doing a, you know, payroll deduction, I don't think DCAing carries the merit it once did. I really don't. 512-836-0590. You can join me with your investment 401k IRA Roth IRA questions tonight. Look forward to having you join me. Let's take a quick break. Live, local, and independent. This is WealthRadio.com with Chris Herline. Join the conversation. Call or text now at 512-836-0590. Now back to Chris. Great being back with you this evening. Phone lines are open. I am broadcasting live at 6.23 p.m. Thanks for making us part of your evening. 512-836-0590. If you want to join the conversation tonight, whether it's IRAs, 401ks, your investment questions, tax, and more. 512-836-0590. Kicked off the show this evening. Just wanted to share some insight into some of the questions, concerns that I'm getting walking into 2021 and a lot of people are wondering if, you know, this is the year that the market could really run up further. Could it could it decline further? You know, a lot of this is driven, I think, by the obvious, just turn on the news. And there's still a lot of unknowns out there. But the market in this past year has kind of defied all odds. And I think prospects are bright moving forward, even through all this. And... Another question 
that I've, and this is not a specific question, but a lot of questions I've been fielding have been around the idea of using life insurance as a savings vehicle. And I, I don't talk about this too often on the program, but when I think about life insurance, the families that I consult with, my team of fiduciary advisors consult with at Reap Financial, these families generally are at a stage in life where they've built their wealth, they've done the responsible thing, they don't have a lot of liabilities. And when you think of traditional life insurance, being there to step in in the event of a worst case scenario to cover liabilities this is why people don't have it in later life generally we use a lot of life insurance in our office over the years especially with affluent clients to cover things like what could be lower estate tax limits in the future and the life insurance death benefit proceeds could cover you know the estate tax and oftentimes, you know, we've seen families use it just to maybe even enhance their estate. You know, if, if you've got a $3 million estate and you want to leave well to heirs, you know, you can spend money and buy yourself a larger estate. And then, of course, because it's death benefit proceeds, life insurance, it generally is going to be tax-free to your heirs. But oftentimes investors, whether you're 30 or 50, you don't think about life insurance as an income tool and how it could potentially, you know, make your golden years of retirement even brighter. The number one thing that I deal with day in and day out with successful families, it's not necessarily trying to get their wealth and the growth of that wealth to a point so that they can retire. We, we do that. Don't get me wrong. But, but my day generally is consisting of people going, hey, I've got it. I've got the number. I'm going to pull this off. But I'm realizing that I'm going to get killed in taxes in retirement. And I, I mean, this, this is hard to believe for some of you out there. But right now, still in this country, tax rates are at 40-year lows. And my firm will retire dozens of families this year. And in last year, looking back, these families retiring, most of them are not in a lower tax bracket when they retire. This is at 40-year low tax rates. They're not. It's wild. And it makes me concerned about what retiring looks like in the next 10 to 20 when tax rates could be exponentially higher. And the reason for this is generally because the bulk of the wealth is in pre-tax accounts, IRAs, 401ks, and then you go to retire. You got a lifestyle you want to maintain. And uh, if you're living all on IRAs and 401ks, if that's where the bulk of your wealth is, it's, it's taxable as income. And if you're not reducing your budget, well, you want to maintain that if every dollar you're living on is income, that's where the problem lies. And then you got the, the standpoint, too, that you don't have a lot of the deductions you once had when you maybe had kids in the house or a house note and that type of thing. 
So you're starved for tax-free income. And that's why I talk so much on, our, on this program on KXN here in Austin around the fact that you got to be saving in a way that's going to give you flexibility and control that you seek in your later years. I had a call with one of my client's kids today, 30 years old. And I told them, I, it, was, it was a couple, I said, you know, it's, it's just as important to know where you're saving as what you're saving, how much you're saving. You know, we think about saving for future independence. Yeah, it's important how much you're saving. We need to get that down. But where you're saving is just as important. Because you need to be thinking today about how you're going to get that money out in 20, 30 years and not get killed in taxes. So life insurance, that's where this comes in. It can provide some really powerful features. Tax-free income. Legacy protection. The state tax protection. A number of things. But there's also a lot of pitfalls. And I've seen more bad policies than I've seen good. When investors are trying to leverage a life insurance policy for any of the reasons that people would that I've mentioned, they're generally not structured properly, generally incredibly expensive. And then the end result is lackluster. Objectives are not hit. And so as much as I like this as a tool in a well-balanced plan, you've got to be very careful. And we're going to cover the pitfalls, the pros and cons of this strategy on the other side of the news break. Be right back. Live, local, and independent. This is WealthRadio.com with Chris Herline. Join the conversation. Call or text now at 512-836-0590. Now back to Chris. Welcome back. You know, you hear the, the words life insurance and you're just, you know, don't turn your dial just yet. Life insurance can play a valuable part in your world. And it just depends on where you're at in life. You know, if you're 20, 30 years old, you got liabilities, maybe kids, chances are you may need some life insurance. And so what I want to do is I want to share with you how affluent families are using life insurance in different ways that likely you've never even considered. But I think we'll start with just the basics first. If you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, you got kids, maybe a mortgage, maybe some credit card debt, whatever it is, if you got liabilities, chances are you need life insurance. And I can't tell you how many times I'll sit down with families in their 50s or 60s and they got you know, these policies that they've had for 30 years that maybe a brother or uncle sold them, right? And by this point, the policy's got cash value and it's paying for itself in some cases. But if you're in those 20s, 30s, and 40 years, 
and you are thinking you need life insurance to cover liabilities in a worst case scenario, I'm a firm believer that the only type of insurance you should be looking at is term life. Okay. And when I say that, it's, it's because generally life insurance, depending on the type, can be expensive. And if you're in your 20s, 30s, and 40s, you're trying to cover a liability that you may not have in 20, 30 years because you're planning on saving for your future. You're planning on raising your family, getting your kids off payroll, paying off your liabilities. So by the time you're 50, 60, this is why nine times out of 10, I'm talking families out of traditional life insurance because they've arrived. They've got their number. They're retiring. They, they don't need it anymore. We're trying to reduce your expenses. But those of you that need it for liabilities, term life is the way to go because you're going to go out, you're going to shop a policy, and what's the approach? You go to the carrier, you say, hey, I'm going to give you a certain amount of money and I want the most life insurance death benefit you'll get me, right? You don't want to spend money on life insurance, but the approach is give me a 10-year, 20-year, 30-year term to cover me during that period. I'm going to give you a flat amount every month, every year, whatever structure you do. And then at the end of that term, 10, 20, 30-year term, it goes away because hopefully your wealth has grown and you don't have the liabilities you once had. Term life insurance is generally going to be the most inexpensive insurance you can buy. So that's traditional approach to life insurance. But then you can look at other types. There's variable life, index universal life, whole life, the list goes on. And these policies that I just mentioned are generally designed for long-term or permanent coverage. And these policies allow you to accumulate money. They refer to it as the, the cash account. And you're, what, what you're doing here is you're purchasing permanent life insurance in many cases with the intention to build up the cash account. And in many cases, you're doing this in order to pay for maybe future retirement expense, you know, just access. You can borrow against it. There's a number of things you could do. And you're accessing this money and still keeping the death benefit in, in play, intact. In my experience over the years, though, what I've seen is that in a traditionally structured policy, Life insurance can be very expensive. And depending on the policy, it can have a lot of hidden fees. There's a lot of layers of fees. And many times throughout the year, my advisors are sitting on the other end of the phone with a client and we're trying to get to the bottom of what the fees are. And unless you know the questions to ask, <laughs> you're generally not going to get them. That's a true statement. So, if you got fees that you don't even know about that are eroding the cash account, well then, huh, the growth, the objective, it may not hit the bell. 
because the cost of insurance can greatly erode any growth potential in the policy. There's a lot of concepts out there, a lot of different programs, even ones I've heard on this program or on the, this station before, advertisements. And I've seen these policies come through my doors, through our offices. And you got families that have been paying into them for four years, seven, 10 plus years. And like, you know, I went into this thing expecting to see a lot more growth and, and I just can't figure it out. I'm almost break even. I've had this thing five years. I'm barely break even. Well, more than likely, it's because the cost of insurance has taken the growth away. And so variable universal life, index universal life, whole life, they all work a little bit differently. I'm not going to get into the breakdown. What I want to do is cover key ways that families are utilizing this, leveraging this. And let me say this. These strategies are not for everybody. Okay, depending on what your net worth is, depending on what your income is, how much you're able to save every month, you know, you really need to qualify for one of these strategies. So I'm going to start with the first strategy. Let's talk to you out there that have a good income. Maybe you already got your term life set aside. You've, you know, it's, you've had it for years. You're paying on that to cover liabilities. Maybe you're maxing out your IRAs, 401ks. Maybe you're maxing out your Roth, your SEP IRA, whatever you got. Put money in your brokerage account. Got a nice nest egg of cash. And you start going, hey, what? I'm already maxing out everything, but, but I want to save more. Where should I go? Well, potentially, you may want to look at a properly structured life insurance policy. And I've said that many times during our broadcast here, properly structured. What I mean by that, and what a lot of insurance salespeople will never tell you, is that these things can be structured in dozens of ways. You can boost the death benefit up. You can boost the death benefit down. And what that does, if you boost the death benefit down in some cases, you may be able to reduce the cost and potentially see better growth in your cash account. But generally, these are not properly structured. And there's permanent life insurance policies out there, index universal life policies out there. Here's a secret. You can blend in term life within some of the carriers. They allow this. You can blend in term life. So the death benefit that you're going to get, a portion of it, in some cases a large portion, can be term. Well, I started this talk with the fact that if you need life insurance, we like term because it's as cheap as it gets. Not all carriers do this, but some do. And for our younger savers out there that are looking for a new place to put money, my number one objective, you need to be looking at getting the cost in this policy down to the bare minimum so it can grow for you. Now, the nice thing about 
these policies is unlike a 401k or an IRA where you have limits on how much you can put in. I'm talking to those in 20s, 30s, and 40s right now. If you've got a 401k, you can put 19500 in that thing, but no more in the given year. IRA, you know, you can put six, seven grand in there, but no more. With a life policy, there's no limits. You can go to them and say, I want to give you a million bucks a year, or I want to give you 10 bucks a year. And then that is even flexible throughout the years. So for those of you high earners that are looking for new places to put, there's no limits on how much you can put into this. Now, you want to be very measured. You need to be thinking through, you know, not just how much you can put in this year, but in future years to keep up with that liability or, excuse me, obligation. But with that said, you're putting money in on a monthly basis or annual basis. And if it's properly structured, you can see growth in your cash account. Generally, this is going to be tied to a stock market index, or if it's a variable life policy, it, it's likely in the market. Stock market, you can pick from an array of funds. And then you're funding this thing, and it's cooking and compounding, hopefully throughout the years. And then let's say along the way something happened, you, God forbid, you got hit by the bus. Well, that death benefit is going to go to your family. More than likely tax-free. And then... If we plan on living, which we do, we get 20, 30 years down the road to retirement. And this is where it gets good. About the time where you're dying for tax-free income in retirement, you could pull money out of your cash account and you're going to pay tax, of course, on anything above what you put in it. If you fund it a long time, it could be a lot of taxable events, but you got access to it. And let's keep in mind, if you're funding your IRAs, 401ks, that's the bulk of your money. You, in most cases, can't touch that money until you're 59 and a half. So you don't have a liquidity option like you would with a brokerage account or a cash account or the properly structured life insurance. And it gives you access if needed. But this is the best part about it. Instead of just taking money out of the cash account, you may decide to do what's called a policy loan. And you can borrow against your life insurance policy. And because it's a policy loan, that amount that you take out in a given year is tax-free. So for younger savers out there that have been hammering this thing, you may have access to well over a hundred, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars in policy loans available as part of your income stream. Sounds too good to be true, right? Do I have to pay the loan back? You could. Very few cases do we advise it because when you pass away someday, the policy loan, the dollars you've taken out as a loan, will be paid back by your death benefit when you pass. And if there's money left after that is satisfied, that money goes tax for your heirs. Not a bad move. But I want to see you maxing out 
all your other accounts first because there's still going to be costs associated and there's a way to invest in a very low cost way but a very powerful tool for high earners and those of you that know you're going to have a nice lifestyle in retirement and you're looking for a lot of different diversity and where you're going to pull your money it's a great strategy Now, on the other side of the break, what I want to do, I want you to hold on with me because I'm going to share with you how affluent families are leveraging life insurance in a way you've never even considered. I'll be right back. Like what you hear? Make sure you never miss a show again. Go to WealthRadio.com and subscribe to have it delivered right to your inbox. Now, back to Wealth Radio on News Radio KLBJ with Chris Herline. All right, we're back with you tonight. And um, last segment, fastest hour of my week always. And, you know, just before the break, we were talking to you 20s and 40-year-olds um, about how properly structured life insurance can be a powerful savings tool as long as it's properly structured, keeping the cost minimal, with the right carrier and more. But I want to share with you in our last segment here how families that have wealth, they've saved millions of dollars. Why are they taking out life insurance policies? Why are they using life? There was this bill, you've heard me likely talk about it. It's called the Secure Act that passed back December 2019. So years past now, this bill's in place and people are just now waking up. I mean, there's still a lot of work to do, but they're waking up. And the reason that people are waking up is it's because it really changed the rules on IRAs that are left to kids. Okay. Kids got to take it out in 10 years now. If you're leaving a significant amount, it could be a pretty huge tax liability for the years, which means the government's taking a rake over it even further than they already were. And so one of the main ways that people have designed their portfolio to leave more tax-free wealth is through Roth, you know, getting your money out of the IRAs or 401ks into a Roth. We talk about that a lot. But see, even the Roth that you leave to a kid, family member, even though it's tax-free, it's still got to be taken out within 10 years. You got to exhaust it within 10 years under this new law. So families that have worked hard for their wealth, they don't like that. They don't like the government in their wealth. And so what many of them are doing, instead of converting IRAs to a Roth, they're draining their IRAs. What they're doing each year is they're taking a distribution out of the IRA, and then they're sending it to a properly structured life insurance company, policy for that matter. They're not going to pull income on this. They got plenty of other assets to do this, but... Each year that they're doing this, they're using their dollars to pay the premium from the IRA. In some cases, if they have a $4 million estate and they're going to send $100,000 a year to the life insurance company from their IRA, well, day one, depending on the family, their age, et cetera, maybe they're going to get $2 million bucks of life insurance. So they just took their estate from $4 million to $6 million overnight. That $2 million of death benefit is tax-free. And most importantly, when it's left to the heirs, 
There's no 10-year rule. The government isn't hitting that thing saying you got to have it out in 10 years like they do a Roth IRA or 401k, traditional IRA. It's also reducing their future tax liability potentially because if you're draining your IRA, when you get to 72 and the government starts making you take it out, the amount you got to take out is all based on how much you have in that thing. So if you're draining it along the years, you're potentially reducing your future tax liability while you're here and then leaving dollars to your heirs tax-free with no 10-year rule. Now, it's, I mean, a lot of years we've, we've been doing life insurance for affluent clients because they're worried about future estate taxes, right? The estate tax limits come down. Let's buy some life insurance. And so when we pass, if the limits are low enough that, you know, our wealth is going to be subject to estate tax, life insurance will pay the estate tax. That's, that's been a traditional model for a long time. But what I'm talking about is funding these properly structured policies from the IRA itself. Now, I've seen some things in this last year. I've seen insurance agents kind of positioning this as, why don't you fund it, and then you could borrow from it tax-free. You know, it's income and stuff. And that's a really risky move, I'm just going to tell you, because... If the policy doesn't perform, if the growth rate doesn't hit the bell, well, that thing may be exhausted before you're exhausted. And then you don't have the death benefit to leave to your heirs or whatever happens. So in the strategy that I mentioned tonight, I want to be very clear. The family that would do something like this, maybe it's you listening right now, these are dollars the money you would put into this are dollars that you don't necessarily need for the success factor in your retirement. And if you've got a lot of money in IRAs and 401ks, you're going to have a big required distribution more than likely. And what I find with successful families is a lot of times they don't even want the required distribution, but they got to take it. So, you're in a scenario where you don't really need the money, but you got to take it. So could there be a better use for that money than just pulling it out, paying taxes, and then reinvesting it? Especially for those of you where there's a great value to leave money to heirs. Chris at WealthRadio.com if you want more details on this. We can set up a time to talk. Chris at WealthRadio.com. Thanks for making us part of your evening. We'll catch you next week. The following program is sponsored by Reap Financial Group, LLC. Investment advisory services provided by Reap Financial Group, LLC, a registered investment advisory firm. Opinions expressed in this broadcast are provided for information purposes only and may change without prior notice. Information presented should not be regarded as a complete analysis of the subjects discussed and should not be construed in any way as an endorsement, an inducement to invest, or an offer to buy or sell any securities. None of the sales content should be viewed as personalized investment advice. A professional advisor and tax professional should be consulted before making any investment decisions 
investments or implementing any of the strategies presented. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk and therefore can be no assurance that any specific investment or strategy will be suitable or profitable for a client's portfolio. The tax and estate planning information offered on this program is general in nature. Always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. The firm only transacts business in states where it is properly registered or excluded or exempt from registration requirements. Registration is not an endorsement of the firm by securities regulators and does not mean that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability.